0: I was like, you you guys don't open those potatoes and look at them before you check them in, you're fired.
1: And then they change it down, They'll, they'll, they'll go to the next grade. You know, they'll go from select or choice and they'll keep dropping it and keep dropping it and modify the recipe until the point where they have a new price point, but they don't change the price on the menu.
0: I just think it's absolutely asinine that we blame establishments for serving someone too much. You asked for the drink or you chose to drink it.
2: You are listening to Fort Worth Food Stories, brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. All right. Welcome back to another week here on Fort Worth Food Stories. I'm joined again by Chefs Maddie Sharp and Chef Edward Gutierrez. Um, To give you guys a little peek behind the curtain, we're recording this about 10 minutes after we did last week's episode. So (laughs) so just a little magic of uh, podcasting here. You split it up. You have a lot to talk about. But last week we talked about um, the, the first part of restaurant ethics and we talked about kind of paying your staff and um, you know giving back to the community and there's one thing we missed on there um, so actually let, let's start off with that this week we, we we missed it we should have talked about it last week uh, but just to kind of get us into it uh, we talked about redistribution of tips um, and I know Matt this is something you're passionate about so I'll let you kind of take the reins on this to start
0: well I think that you kind of see in, a, in any given restaurant who's working as a team front of the house wise like who's pooling their tips and who's not like if Sometimes, I've seen it in restaurants where if you are solely working on your tables, it's every man for himself.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, as opposed to when you go to a place where uh, you're pulling tips, uh, pooling tips, not pulling them, pooling tips, <laughs> um, you can ask any rest uh, any server for something and they'll go grab it for you. Or it's like, oh, as opposed to if you're not, it's like, let me find your server. Yeah, yeah. Let me go get your server to get your drink or... You know, I've even had people just straight up ignore me, which makes me, again, how we talked about tips, it might make you feel differently as a consumer as much as you're going to tip. You know, but if you see that they're all working together and I got this, someone's dropping food, who had this? And, uh, you know, some just clearing tables, picking up plates. Um, if you don't have a busboy maybe, some restaurants don't. I just think it's really big and you, you can just, there's a different atmosphere. There's a different feeling where they're all in it together you know, hell or high water, they're gonna, they're gonna get through the shift and they're gonna work their little booties off and, uh, you know, make the most money that they can for each other. Um, I think that works if your waitstaff gets along. Um, I think it is kind of a camaraderie that brings the front of the house together. I've seen it in different restaurants where they're doing it and I've seen where Sometimes that can not be a good thing because people who are dead weight are still getting tipped out when the people are working their little boot, like, you know, higher up servers are working harder. It's, it is a double-edged sword, but in my experience, I've seen that pooling tips kind of brings the front of the house together and everyone work a little harder. They're not trying to push their tables in front of someone else. And, um, you know, it's a little bit more camaraderie there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, it, and if you tip out the back of the house, they're more likely to uh, <laughs> they, they uh, do a little extra for you. They go yeah. above and beyond.
2: Cool. Uh, Edward, did you have uh, anything to add on that yeah, front? I,
1: I like, I like kind of like both of them, but I think it's really about the management style. I think it's something we've been secretly talking about through all these podcasts is like different types of management that happen throughout all the restaurants and mm-hmm. what the effects are. So if if you want to keep everyone with individual tips and not tip out your barbacks or not tip out your bartenders and not tip out the kitchen, then as the business owner, you got to make sure that it pays according, right, across the board and everyone's going to be taken care of. And the most important part for that management style is that you're actually training your weak links. Um, I've I've been at uh, high-end restaurants where they have a server who really knows a lot of clientele. And they will bring in a really, really high-paying clientele. And so to make that person say thank you, they get to keep all those tips for the high-end clientele. Um, so like you said, if you have a weak one who's still getting a lot of money because of this person, this guy's going to leave and go somewhere else. So if you don't have the right management, it's not going to work. But and
0: take the clients with him. Right,
1: and take the clients with him. And there's actually that's a thing out there, too. Um but if you have the right manager style to train the weak one, to bring them back up, to have teach them how to bring in their own clients and get their own clients, then the tip pooling becomes even more amazing. Because instead of that guy getting hit, being the highest tipper, everyone around him is competing at that same level, and so everyone's just making a lot of money at that point. Um, but for me, most important redistribution of tips is when the entire staff gets it when busboys get it, when the bartenders get it, especially when the kitchen gets it. Um, because the kitchen puts in the most physical work, and they get the least, you know, rewards. So I think they should be tipped out.
0: Serving is a physical job. He didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We no, no, all no. know those trays are heavy yeah. and right. back yeah. and yeah. No, forth. No, no, no. Yeah,
1: no disrespect to the serving <laughs> yeah. community, but, you know, these guys are backed on the line with the heat and all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, not trying to compare. Um, one cool story I wanted to share, though, is, is that Grace we used to do this big bag of money on the weekends. On Saturday, I guess that's not a thing anymore.
0: Um, No one told uh, me about it. (laughs) They
1: would come and someone would put a hundred, I think it was Adam or the owner, somebody, I don't remember who would do it. They'd get a big bag, a white bag, and he'd put a hundred dollars in there. And if you wanted a raffle ticket, you had to put a dollar in that bag. And so as service started going through the servers, you know, they really want this money. So the servers are always putting in 5, 10, one, 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 one. And the cooks are like, hey guys, you anybody, anybody get the money, we got two bucks. All right, we're putting all our names on there, you know? So all the cooks would probably have like 10, 15 bucks yeah. to pulled together that they're scrap money. Like, Do you accept coins? Like we don't accept coins, like give me change. Come on, like help us out. <laughs> and so we put our names on the dollars or whatever. And then sometimes that big bag, money would be like 500 bucks, $1,600, you know? And then one time, you know, the back of the house, we won it with $2. You know? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so. I
0: vaguely remember this, yeah. but I don't know if I ever put in for it. I don't remember that. Yeah,
1: and so, you know, some nights were really popular. Everybody wanted to play the game. Some nights were probably like, 150 bucks in, in yeah. the pool. You know, but that that was, like, a really cool, fun way to distribute tips i don't know it was just really cool everyone liked playing it if you didn't want to play then you don't play right it's yeah. you didn't lose anything and it
0: goes back to last week as uh you know what are you doing for your employees what are you investing in them yeah. you know that's a hundred bucks okay that was maybe the startup and, yeah, it, and it got, got everybody everyone pumps. together Yeah, everyone's fired up and everyone wants things to go out so tips are coming in hot and you know
1: right exactly that's everyone's cool. trying to play the game because the cooks want the servers to put more in because they're the ones who can afford it, so they're going to be doing it. Hey, dude, come here, hurry! Dot, please get it to the server customer right Dying now. Dying
0: in the window. Sell this. Give them <laughs>
1: tips. You know. Yeah. So it was just like a fun game. I think that redistribution of tips is something that you should really think about as in the business and how you play those games to help your staff.
2: So we've spent now you know a few minutes on on it this week. We we spent it all last week, but we talked about the employer relationship and the chef relationship with the employees. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the employer relationship with the consumer and and going into the food that they're selling um, and and the food that they're cooking up. So um, I know you're really passionate about this, Edward. So I'll let you start off with it uh, first, but. Um, what, what did you want to talk about specifically when it comes to the products that people are selling at their restaurants?
1: Yeah. Just to, do they change their product and not tell the customers, um, I've known places to open up and they'll start off with this amazing hamburger patty. Like it's 80, 20 short rib brisket mix comes from a certain cow that only grows in the Himalayan mountains from a Shaman <laughs> priest, you know, so it's the best stuff in the world. And, uh, after they open for like two months, they get people addicted to it. They're like, oh, this is the amazing burger or whatever they're selling, and then they change it down. They'll, they'll they'll go to the next grade. You know, they'll go from select or choice, and they'll keep dropping it and keep dropping it and modify the recipe until the point where they have a new price point, but they don't change the price on the menu. Yeah. Or so Or even the literature on the menu. Right. Or even the literature on the menu, and so you opened up with this, but then you have this, and you don't even tell your customers. Or at least say, hey, you know what? We don't like the Kobe anymore. That we want to do a regular whale
2: So, so the ethics isn't that they change the product. The ethic is that they're basically tricking their customers. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's part of it. And I know we t- we kind of touched on consumer responsibility, but and and consumer ethics a couple of weeks ago. But that really falls on the owner and the chef. And I could sell you, you know, <coughs> chicken of the sea. Uh, is it? Is it? chicken or is it tuna you know like yeah. it, it that was a stupid example but it's just like <laughs> okay that was really stupid but it's just like as a chef I can tell you that it's all organic A B and C but I'm getting conventional or we normally buy organic but maybe they were out so we're buying conventional this this go around you know it's it happens uh, the, the trick is if they run out of organic you buy conventional this week are you going to try to buy organic? And if that product is no longer available, are you changing your, you know, are you changing your menu? Are you telling your wait staff, like, hey, make sure they know, you know, that it's not organic this week, mm-hmm. you know? Are you doing that as, I think it's a little bit more respectable if you're like, oh, the greens aren't organic this week? Hmm, I might get something else. Or, you know, okay, I understand that. Yeah. But I, I would understand that more because I've tried to order stuff before and it's just sold out, you know? I... I get that as a chef. That, I think that falls on your chef and that falls on your owner 100%. As a consumer, that's not your responsibility.
2: So what, I mean, I think logically it, it makes sense that being more open and honest with the customer creates more trust um, and, and hopefully repeat customers. Um, what is the benefit to the employer or the chef or whatever to essentially lie to the customer about what it is that they're selling?
1: Oh, money, hundred percent money. Uh, the organic was a great example. Just because you can charge be, more for it, or right? Because on the menu you put organic kale spinach salad, right? And then all of a sudden December time comes around. Oh, guess what? You know, not the best time to be getting organic spinach kale. You know, now you gotta get it from another country. Yeah. Maybe the logistics doesn't get to the warehouse. Blah blah blah. You run out, and so you switch this baby spinach one day, right? And then everyone's okay everyone's happy with it, well then organic can sometimes put anywhere from 50 cents to a dollar 50 price tag on an individual serving. So if you got away with using the conventional, you're now increasing your profits by that 50 cents to a dollar 50. Okay. And then it's a slippery, a slippery slope from there. Because then they start going into the, Ooh, well, what if I change this? What if I change that? What if I change this? The next thing you know, they see themselves as this business entrepreneur who's you know leading the way and being revolutionary or whatever. But in reality, all they're doing is
2: lying to the customers. But don't they basically end up hurting themselves over time if their food quality does go down?
0: Food quality, yes. Um, but I think sometimes the profit margins will overlook that. I feel like in a, a lot of times in restaurants, when it started, it was kicking, and it was perfect, and it was A, B, and C. And then you go back like a couple months later or a year later, and it just wasn't as good. Maybe they've lost a different cook. Maybe they've, you know, maybe there's some turnover in the kitchen. But a lot of times, it could just be product. Yeah. And I also think it's smart to change your menu seasonally so you can always have organic in season if, you, if that's what you're selling. If you're not selling organic, That's fine. There's still things in season that will keep your costs low. It's just being a smart chef. And that's why we go to seasonal menus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we get the products that are available to us when they're available to us. Even with modern day society, we can have butternut squash year round. But those will be better when you know butternut squash comes into season yeah. you know right in the fall
1: time it's gonna be cheaper because there's an overabundance the bumper mm-hmm. crops are coming in so it gets real cheap so that's the ethical way to increase profits on your menu is that it's seasonal this is really cheap for example uh, at the school i bought 50 pounds of green beans green peas excuse me for 13 dollars um if you try that in two months from now it's not going to be 13 dollars it's gonna yeah. be like 50 60 gonna bucks say, because, you know yeah so the, the entrepreneur should really be doing that, buying these really cheap peas um, because of their the harvest time.
0: Maybe yeah. not cheap, but smart. Yeah. Smartly.
1: Lower costing. Yeah. yeah. In, the, season. in season. Because in season, they're the best quality, the best nutrients, the best bang for your buck. So it's really not the cheapest ones mm-hmm. at that yeah. point. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and so how, I guess, how, uh, we've talked about how a consumer can hold um, a restaurant accountable. But how do you train people? I mean, we have future chefs, hopefully, here at the school, right? We have students coming in. um, They're doing their culinary classes and want to get into the field. How do you train them to have an ethical mindset, or is it just that's how the person's wired?
0: You have to. I think you have to show them.
2: You have to beat them up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That was me actually punch hitting it, a punch student. In the face. Sorry. Uh, you have to.
0: No, you have to really make it a point and really look at cost margins. Sally has five apples. You know. Yeah. She can sell them today for this much. Tomorrow she can sell them for this much. Like if you make an apple pie, you know, in the fall when apples are on sale, as opposed to getting. Honeycrisp apples right now—that's astronomical. And Honeycrisp are expensive, you know. But they're going to be better quality. It, it, I just think you have to put the money in their hands and say, "Here you go." You know, you have to hold them responsible as to you want to do this because your product's going to be better, your money will be better, and you know, your your cooks will be happier working with fresh products as opposed to getting sugar snap peas in the middle of winter time and picking through 20 of them because they're moldy. Yeah, You know, mm-hmm. or potatoes during, you know, potatoes are harvested and they're held for nine months or whatever, you know, so during a certain time of the year, I was like, you, if you guys don't open those potatoes and look at them before you check them in, you're fired. Because even though potatoes are only 20 bucks for a 50 pound box, if they're, half of them are moldy, you know, yeah, we're, we can get a comp for that, but that's time effort and energy wasted as opposed to just oh we can't use these send them back now and we'll take a new a whole new order because we're guesstimating of how many potatoes you know for example were moldy Mm -hmm. i just think you have to really make sure that i mean sorry not to interrupt but it's just like you have to beat it into them that this is so important and you should want to be better
1: yeah, that's right. The, the first part, they need they want to, have to want want these things. I mean, if you just want, we talk about substance. If that's all you want in life, great, happy for you. But if you actually want to elevate the world and make the world a better place, you have to care first. And then after you care, you got to reach out for help. Like you could always reach out to me or I'm sure Maddie and I would love to answer some questions about our restaurants and stuff like that and show people how to look at these things. And the first step would be is talking to the owner and talking to the chef. Mm-hmm. Um, is the owner too busy for you? You know, and what's he busy doing? Is this not his business? You know, like, what it should be your primary thing is talking to your consumers. So if you don't have the time, you should be wary of that. Now, the chef, if the chef doesn't have time for you, it's probably because they're being overworked, right? Because the owner's not giving them enough time and stuff like that. But communicating with the chefs, learning to start talking with the, the cooks, even talking with the servers... You know, the less knowledgeable the server is, then obviously that the, the trickles upward.
0: Yeah, you know? the least amount of time they've been invested in. and yeah.
1: But just talking to them and starting asking them questions and then just really getting into that business. Because so I think eating food is something very personal. It's, yeah, it sounds kind of weird, but it's one of the few times you put something in your body that comes from outside, right? And so <laughs> that to me is very personal whenever you do those kind of things. And I don't think people really respect that too much because someone else touched that food, and you just put it in your mouth and you swallowed it. So yeah, yeah, yeah you should have a little bit more respect for yourself and the places you go to. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yeah. What did you have something to add to there? Or, <laughs> nope. Okay. Well, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> so you, uh, Edward. Also, uh, I mentioned it last week, but you have put you guys have put a ton of work into you know prepping for these, and and I appreciate that. Um, but one of the things that you wanted to talk about was kind of the mani- manipulation of sales, um, and and also uh, when it comes to bars over serving to increase sales. Um, so let's jump into that. I, I think that's a, a pretty good discussion point. Um, and again, I'll I'll let you take the the lead on this one.
1: Yeah, the um, the over serving to increase sales. It's it's interesting because you know we have a um, we have TABC out there that says you can only do X Y and Z. and You're only supposed to do this. But it seems like every day I'm reading a story about a DWI crash and someone being killed on yeah. a, in a head-on collision from this. And <laughs> fortunately, they're not coming from house parties. You know, they're, they're not drinking at home and then getting behind the wheel. They're usually with a group of friends at some bar, you know, getting way too drunk and then they take off. Uh, Get an
0: Uber! Okay, sorry. right
1: exactly it's it's that easy these days right mm-hmm. 2020 it's, it's that easy yeah no it's, I know it's 2019 19, but we're almost there <laughs> it's, it's already here um, yeah so manipulating cells that way is it's something yeah I want to talk about so yeah increasing the cells that oh, it's not a touch it it's so it's so touchy uh, yeah, is it okay to do it? You know, because I've seen it. I'm sure we've all seen it. I'm sure we've all been overserved. Yeah. at some a bar at some point. You know, I have. I know I've asked for a shot too many that they should have said, no, no, thank you on that. Um, but they didn't. Perfect
0: they, example. I was in Puerto Rico with my husband on our honeymoon. He had been drinking Johnny Walker's Neat all day long. We were watching March Madness, and we went to this bar, and he sits down. He's like, I'll take a Johnny Walker Neat. I look at the bartender, I say, no sir, he has had enough, we were want to order food, he'll take a water. A Johnny Walker neat there was $14, so he served it, I love you Ken, but he ended up, I had to grab a, like one of the buckets they serve bucket of beer and I ninja got it under his face before he threw up all over the bar. As he's puking his guts out, I look at the bartender, I say, this is your fault. Yeah. this should not have happened I said I told you he had had enough but we got charged for the drink Mm -hmm. I left the guy at 20 on top of everything sorry I didn't hit the mic (laughs) and I left the bucket of puke there what am I supposed to do with it and I was like sir (laughs) now I gotta get out of your Denny's Full serve bar, Denny's. It was, <laughs> they we're classy people.
1: <laughs> $15
0: shots in Denny's. Yeah. yeah, I was like, what are you doing? So that's just a perfect example. Also, a lot of times, bartenders are beautiful and wear low cut outfits that entice people to want to buy more, you know? Um, and I'm comfortable saying that. Also, work it, boo boo. You got it. That's cool, you know? <laughs> yep. Make the money, make those tips. But a lot of times, you know, um, sexual desire is driven into, I think you can handle one more. Are you ready for another? Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not a question. It's like, oh, you want another, right? Here's another beer. Yeah. Or they'll just open it and hand it to you. Sometimes being a good bartender where you don't have to ask, but other times looking at the TABC guidelines where you're starting to notice the, the signs, the very first bit of, you know, am I serving this person too much? How much food have they consumed? What time is it to how many drinks that they have, con- you know? And it's on and a busy night, it's hard to keep track of that, you know? It's better, you get a better tip when you're, like, being more proactive as to you're ready for another beer, here you go, shh, there you go, you know? Yeah. Or ready, another drink, here's your other drink, and then that drink hits you like a ton of bricks, yeah. you know? I'm not a very large, in stature human being. Sometimes I'm fine on drink two, drink three, I'm out. I'm done or five or six or seven, whatever it takes, you know, <laughs> depends on what we're drinking that night. But I've been there before and I've been to these places where, yeah, uh, okay. Oh, well, it's already open. I'm not going to waste it now. You know, there's Lyft, there's Uber, there's things. But yeah. a lot of times I don't want to leave my car here. I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. have to come back tomorrow and get another Uber. And then after I'm adding it up, that's $50 and I, I'm fine. And I'm sure a lot of you have come to that before. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh well, eh, I didn't really plan accordingly, but maybe I don't have an extra $50 to get here in the morning, or I've got to get up and get to work. I don't. I'm not gonna have time. I'd rather take that extra 30 minutes and sleep in than have to come here, grandma my stuff. And you know, it, it happens. It totally happens. I'm not condoning it. I'm not advocating it. I'm whatever. I'm, one way or the other.
1: Yeah, I think almost everyone at that point in life has had that conundrum and had to make that decision. And I think that should have been avoided by the server. And then I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of friends that are servers, by the way. I, oh, lo- yeah. I love them. But I still. But before it falls on the server, it should be falling on the owner. Like you said before, it's hard to keep up with. And the reason why it's hard to keep up with is because the owner isn't paying them enough money, so they can have multiple servers. You have too many servers behind the bar. They're not going to go home with enough money to pay rent. So now the the owner pushes the blame to the server saying I'm gonna give you two to work the bar the whole Saturday again you can't keep up there's no way you're just pushing buttons running cards handing out beers you're hoping for the best at that point so whose fault does it fall to me the owner it's the owner's responsibility but TABC sees it as the bartender's responsibility and that's where I disagree with the, that whole law and all those rules is because if the server doesn't have the right tools to do their job then the owner should have been given them those tools.
0: I also think it's funny that we push it off as the consumer. Like, I should know my limit, but I'm not going to say that. And so it's not my fault you chose to take my money. So I think that's also, it's a little... Right,
1: because the business owner takes all the money from it, right? All that sales goes to him. Mm -hmm. But then when TABC comes, after someone goes into DWI or kills somebody, then the server's the one who gets punished for it. The server only got $20 out of that deal versus the $280 tip. You know, then they say, well, I can't afford to pay the servers. But alcohol sales will always try and completely destroy food sales. Yeah. So if anyone could be getting paid more, it's going to be the bartenders and the servers. So I don't see any way a business owner could tell me they can't afford to pay a bartender to
2: not over-serve. And I, I definitely, so I used to bartend uh, back home in New Jersey. Um, i did events bartending so uh, i you know we worked at um, a this like nice theater place and i was always up on the third floor Um, so it was like my bar Um, i had the third and fourth floor would would come to me Um, so i didn't have any supervision there i was basically like the manager on that bar right so there was multiple times where people would come out and you'd have a line of 100 people for an intermission and you know it's like 30 minute intermission and you're making drinks quick um, and people would come out that you knew were pretty close to you shouldn't be serving and i there was a time where i said i'm not going to serve you you know it, you know you're going to be overserved and all oh, hell, hell broke yeah loose. exactly i mean he he freaked out i thought i was going to get violent you know there's this whole altercation and meanwhile there's a line of 75 people behind him and so i'm like i'm making 10 dollars an hour plus tips this is not worth it for me <laughs> i'm just going to give you the beer Right. you know and so i think i do yeah to your point, I don't know where all I was going with that, but to your point, it's, it's really hard sometimes for a bartender uh, especially if there would have been two or three or four of you, you could have been handled the situation. To say,
1: can you you'll you speak with Jeffrey over there exactly, and then Jeffrey could have handled his belligerence, and sales could have. And kept then going. I'm still making the, right. the drinks, yeah.
2: And and so it wasn't a matter of I want to get this guy's tip. It was I want to serve these other 75 people before their show starts again. Right,
1: right. Just, everything's about to break down now because of this one person. Not yeah, like you, was that one other person there? And, would and so you. I just
2: I don't know what the solution is for that, uh, but I do think from an ethical standpoint, I felt ethically responsible for getting this guy another beer and and who knows if he was going to drive home or um what he was going to do and then from an owner's standpoint i think my boss would have been like yeah give him another beer we want that 13 bucks for, for the beer or whatever right yeah exactly yeah. he's the one making the real money right exactly one
1: beer equals one hour of your pay for him yeah that's 100 exactly. people exactly. about to give you all that mm-hmm. i mean that's what a thousand that's thousands of dollars that are about to come his way with a single beer yeah so, yeah, I want you
2: to innovation. give it out. Yeah, Yeah, and so I just don't know – I don't know how you change that. When, just, when something's that lucrative, I don't know how you change it.
0: it. It There has to be more responsibility placed on the person drinking. You know, there are too many tools. I just think it's absolutely asinine that we blame establishments for serving someone too much. You asked for the drink or you chose to drink it. or Because even if you, as a bartender, made me a cranberry vodka and I was like, you know what, I've had enough, I didn't ask for this – you take it out, pour it away. Yeah. And it's nothing. It's $3 loss, you know, mm-hmm. maybe in vodka. Maybe. Not even. Because, you know, I'm probably getting the well stuff. Yeah. It's kettle one. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we weren't in college. Anyways. Um, no, I think that more responsibility needs to be put on the consumer itself. We have the tools as Lyft, Uber, taxis, even bartenders back home where I started drinking, um, legally. <laughs> uh they had, on the bars, taxis. This was before, you know, Lyft and Uber. This, yeah. you know, they would call a taxi really dating for you. Really
2: there. Okay, it was a small town, also. Small town. They still don't have
0: Uber there today. I've checked, so. James. <laughs> Well, back in my day, we just, of yeah. <laughs> a horse drawn carriage would take us home. You can do
1: that in Fort Worth, actually.
0: Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, there goes but, my point. But, you,
2: you know, a question to that, though, and on a serious note, is if it is a consumer's ethics, you know, is that a mindset that needs to change at the start of the night? I mean, you need to know when you're leaving your house or your apartment or whatever exactly how you're getting home and, and how you're going to do that. Yeah,
0: just plan accordingly. And yeah. People won't. You know, I yeah. see. I think people can't
2: because uh, alcohol is a
1: controlled substance, and once you start yeah. getting under the influence of that, it, it, it's designed to make you not think smart.
2: And that, that was going to be my follow up yeah. question, yeah. and that's where I think, kind of to Edward's point, I think it does kind of go to the establishment yeah. and not being greedy. And, and really, in the long run, is serving this one or ten people one extra drink are you really right. going to make that many profits? Because right.
1: I think in America, we need to hold a lot more responsibility on consumers on certain things like Tide Pods. Like, he doesn't need to be a warning Eating label tide on pods. Tide Pods, right? That, that we're going to be good on that one. Okay? Yeah. But when you're selling a controlled substance, like, look at the legalization, right, of marijuana and what they're doing for that, all these steps you have to go through that stuff, right? Dispensaries are getting raided and arrested for selling it, right? But in the see um, the consumers. But when it comes to alcohol, all of a sudden, you know, TABC will come in and arrest the bartenders and then walk out, and the police will arrest the consumer and they walk out, and the business owner opens up the next day. Yeah. Right? His life just keeps going. So, and, and I would love to put it on the consumer, I really would, but it just I, breaks yeah. my heart when I see a DWI kills a family of four in the morning, okay, so we put the, we put the responsibility on him, but he's dead. Right. So, we going we continue, we continue a cycle that way.
0: I, no, I, I agree. I see that point too, and I definitely think that as a sober mind, bartender, and or establishment, there needs to be hard lines. Yes. As a business owner, I've made everyone go through the TABC class. I've, you know, in this state or OLCC in Oregon, you know, I've made my bartenders do that. So I'm putting responsibility on them. On paper, you're doing the right job. As an owner, you have to be like, there needs to be a hard line. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
1: And it's tricky to do because look what happened in America the last time you tried to mess with alcohol, right? The whole country went into yeah. arms and started destroying it. So alcohol has such a huge effect on America because we have such a lot of alcoholics out there. Um, and I'm an alcoholic, you know. I try to control my drinking as best as I can. Um, but it's hard sometimes. And so is the rest of America out there. So whenever you have an like alcoholic country out there, it now becomes on the business owner. Because TABC is way too relaxed on letting everyone drink whenever you want to drink, as much as you want to drink. And we've been having that in society for, I don't know, 40, 60 years, it seems yeah. like. Ever since I was a kid, I can remember Budweiser commercials and Miller Lite commercials. and all the cool people are drinking, all the chicks in, you know, bikinis with six packs are drinking, you know, everyone's having a good time She's drinking, like you. you know. <laughs> that, almost my entire childhood was like that, you know. Yeah. And so it, it, you create a culture in America where people are acceptable to be alcoholics and no one's going to say anything to each other because they're also doing the same thing on the weekend. So it's hard to put the con- responsibility on the consumer at that point when you know they have an addiction and you're selling them the, the drug for that yeah. addiction.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know?
0: Even when they have certain parameters, as to can't buy alcohol after midnight, which I learned the hard way. That's not like that in other states. Uh, and before noon on Sundays, you know. Also, heard, learned that the hard way. I look like I was going down to the lake, and I looked like a raging alcoholic. I was like, I'll be taking this. They're like, you No, you will not. Like, oh. okay. all right. No, I get that, and I and that's that's a gray area. That's just a conversation starter. Like you know, talk about it amongst yourselves. Where should we draw the line? What you know. What do we do? What is the solution? Is there a solution? Because you know?
1: you're never going to stop someone from going to Specs and buying a tin case of Patron, then going home or going to the lake and having a crazy rager, and then we're right back in the situation. There was no business owner. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would venture to say that the majority of our DWI deaths come from bars and not... People having fun at the lake, people yeah. having fun at home mm-hmm. and stuff like that. There's gonna be one or two, sure, of course, statistically, right? But Yeah.
0: I also think at house parties they're like, Nope, you're not leaving. You just yeah. need to sleep on the couch. I've done that so many times yeah. for my friends, yep. you know.
1: Yeah, we used um, so to do that in times, college, like, no. just take everyone's keys. Right. It's yeah. easier to do that in that home environment. But when you're when you're at the when you're at a bar scenario, You know, people are like, oh, my God, please leave. This guy is so annoying. Like, oh, he's leaving, thank God. He's driving home. Well, he's not my problem. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not until your family is affected by the death of a DWI, then, or a drunken driver, then all of a sudden, when someone's leaving, you're like, oh, let me help you, let me help you. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they become belligerent, and then you
2: automatically just want to disengage. Mm -hmm. You just let them them do them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think... You know, I think that's a pretty good place to end it. Probably is is right there, and and it is a good conversation piece, and it's something that should get a conversation started. And, yeah. and we want to hear from you guys, the listener. I mean, hit us back up on Facebook or uh, shoot us. An email, if, if that's the way you want to join in the conversation. Uh, we can send it to fortworthfoodstories at gmail.com. Uh, but, yeah, we, we want to hear from you guys. I mean, what, what do you think about this? What do you think about this whole series that we've been doing? Um, are we right? Are we wrong? You know, I, I know people have commented <laughs> positively and negatively on, yep. on all of our posts so far. So. Uh, we, we definitely want to hear that feedback, but we're
0: just two people. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm just the moderator. <laughs> Leave me out of it. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, thank you guys again for coming on this week, um, and uh, we've got one more episode to do. Uh, we we don't know what it is going to be yet, but it's going to be, be amazing. It's going to be the best one yet. Well, maybe
1: maybe the the listeners choose.
2: Yeah, oh, hey, hey, we we have a good suggestion from you guys. We'll we'll uh, we'll do that one for sure. So uh, thank you guys for listening, and and go rate and subscribe. We appreciate that. That episode was brought to you by the Culinary School of Fort Worth. Located on Camp Bowie Boulevard, the Culinary School of Fort Worth is helping future chefs pursue their dreams every single day. You can reach out for more information or to schedule a tour on their website at csftw.edu or you can reach them by phone at 817-737-8427. That's 817-737-8427. Also, you can check them out on social media to see what's going on daily at the school at Culinary School of Fort Worth on Facebook and Culinary School FTW on Instagram.